welcome to another episode of our SaaS Stories podcast. I'm your host, Ash, and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Tyler, the founder and CEO of Centauri. Having worked at renowned companies like HopSpot and other SaaS startup, Tyler recognized the need for comprehensive SEO tool that goes beyond traditional approaches. Fueled by his dissatisfaction with existing SEO tools and guides, he embarked on a mission to develop a solution that empowers small businesses to succeed in the competitive world of SEO. Centauri offers a unique software platform that enables users to think strategically about SEO, identify growth opportunities, and optimize their online presence. But it does not stop there. Tyler goes the extra mile, provide additional support through a private Slack community and monthly group coaching calls. This ensures that users receive personalized guidance in building and managing effective SEO strategies. So I hope you enjoy it. Okay, Tyler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ash. Really happy to be here. Great. Do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates you that you can share? Yeah, good question. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the exact quote off the top of my head, but I, I'm a big believer in uh, two principles. One is paying it forward. You know, I've been very blessed in my life and I try to give back wherever I can and continue to, you know, people have helped me, a lot of people a lot smarter than myself. So I tried to do the same thing, helping others. Um, but then also the fact that you really can't overdo it or overserve. Uh, I think that comes just from where it's BMA career and customer success, uh, really trying to always do everything I can to help someone make someone successful. And that's something I do in my business. And hasn't really done me wrong when it comes to support, obviously, but even sales growth and all that good stuff. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Mother, my mother used to say the same thing, like the good you do outside, you know, the good you do for other people, the universe gives back to you the same. Totally. Yeah. Can't do wrong by going the extra mile or, or try to just do the right thing. Perfect. Perfect. So tell us about Centauri. What's what does the product do? Who is it for? And what's the main problem you're helping to solve? Yeah, for sure. You gave a you gave an excellent summer. You know, I actually I began my career um, in uh, marketing software, so I worked at HubSpot for a while. And um, you know, all the while, I've always been interested in SEO, and I've uh, been doing SEO uh, as a hobby, building websites. Uh, I used to build Word, WordPress websites uh, back when I was in high school and college. And, I was always fascinated by the internet and getting found online. It was sort of a way that SEO really worked uh, in the in the early 2000s and the 2010s, but that doesn't really work anymore now that the web's gotten more crowded. Uh, so while I was at HubSpot, I I really saw how uh, just how delightful it can be to work on a SaaS product that people love. Uh, I realized how hard it can be, but the thing I think that stood out the most to me is what I felt made HubSpot so successful as a company, but helped them go from a million, multi-million dollar company to a billion dollar company is uh, the support and services that they provided, that they made every customer feel important and feel valued and that they did everything they could to make sure customers were successful using their software. Uh, and I didn't see that in SEO tools. So I've been trying different SEO tools, the expensive ones, the cheap ones, the ones in between. And the real problem I see with SEO is it is so technical as a discipline and it's so competitive. A tool on its own isn't going to teach someone who's brand new to SEO how to be successful. Uh, and so blending uh, the ability to get education, to get support, to get guidance, that's where I saw the big opportunity with Sipori. And at the heart of it, that's what I'm really trying to do, is not worry so much about uh, you know, overloading people with data as much as overloading them with knowledge. So so, so, so when you had the epiphany, do you, do you, did you look into the market where there were other products similar to that? I mean, obviously, you already mentioned that there was not that much support going on. Uh, but what was going on at the time and what did you see from your research that encouraged you to move ahead with it? Totally. Good question. Yeah, it's probably um, around 2020 is when I really started getting try to launch Centauri uh, as a software product. Um, it was during the pandemic. I spent, I was working full time. I was working at HubSpot. And so I thought, you know what, I'm not commuting. Uh, I can't go anywhere. I have a lot of time to code and build out this product. And so I was able to build it in a short amount of time uh, and then run 
several ad campaigns, the things that you do, you build a landing page, you run an ad campaign, you get people to sign up. And the challenge I found is that uh, people would sign up and they would use the tool for about a week and drop off and would, and I would always ask them, hey, what would happen? Why weren't you continuing to use the tool? And almost every single person said, I didn't know how to use this, or I didn't know who to use it for. It's nice. It's a lot easier to use. I like the design, but I don't know what to use this for. And as a founder, it's easy to fall in love with your idea, especially for someone like me with a product background. I like product solutions. Worked as a product manager for a while as well at HubSpot. And um, it took a little bit, a little bit longer than I care to admit. Uh, but I did come around to the idea that, you know what, if we're thinking about what is the core problem that my customer is facing, it's that everyone's telling me, I don't know how to do SEO. And I thought, well, there's only so much a tool can do, but there's a lot that I can do. And I realized as I was trying out, I tried out, um, you know, Ahrefs, SEMrush, Mangle, some of those big SEO tools, a bunch of the smaller ones, and they all looked exactly the same. I feel like a lot of SEO, SEO tools just copy SEMrush and Ahrefs. And I realized that the problem is people are, the people I'm trying to target, business owners, marketers, not SEO experts, aren't using those tools because they don't know how to use them. I shouldn't build the exact same tool. Uh, I realized I needed to do something different, and I realized I could differentiate with things like the community, with things like the coaching I do on top of the software, with an onboarding program that we launched. And those are things that none of those big players are doing. I think at best, SEMrush is involved in a couple of Slack communities, uh, and that's the pretty much the level of support that you get. Uh, I realized I could do a lot more leading on the customer success background there. Perfect, perfect. So, so you actually, you are, you actually, uh, you know, solving the pain point of the uneducated, unaware customers who doesn't know about the SEO tools. Whereas compared to those customers who actually already using SMRash or Ahrefs, they might already know about SEO, mostly the agencies, etc. So they don't need that kind of hands-on support to get on board with the, with the tooling system, isn't it? Precisely. And, it, and I think where this has become a big opportunity, where we're trying to really take advantage of it, is, uh, you know, 10 years ago, SEO was was a debatable as a channel that you needed. You know, it was okay if you didn't have SEO because, you know, 10, 15 years ago, a lot of businesses didn't even have websites. But now it's kind of table stakes. It's just necessary that you have a plan for appearing and ranking on Google because everyone's industry is so crowded. There's so many stuff. Our businesses, competition is increasing, and it's getting a lot harder to rank on Google. Just having a website and a few blog posts, even if you're using ChatGPT, that's not going to help you rank because everyone's doing the same thing. They're all creating the same websites, all creating the same content, making it very crowded. Uh, and so we're we're realizing that there is, there are a lot of folks who realize SEO is something that they need to do. Uh, they need to care about and prioritize, but they have no idea where to start. Uh, and you know, we're also seeing a lot of suspicion when it comes to agencies that really are just kind of plugging in a keyword into Ahrefs and saying, well, here's a thousand keywords that came out. You should write a blog post for each one of these. And that worked you know, 10 years ago, but we're not seeing that work as much anymore. I'm, I'm not seeing that as, uh, as a valid approach to SEO just because it's so competitive. So you know, the markets definitely are shifting and we're trying to be uh, as, as friendly and, uh, and usable for those folks who aren't SEO nerds like myself, but realize, hey, I, I need my business to rank on Google, and I'm sick of seeing my comp, you know my competitors rank above me. Indeed, indeed, and I I can totally relate to that um, because you know um, I I run myself a SaaS business, and uh, it took me more than a year and a half to rank like two pages on first page. Oh yeah, this. <laughs> and um, and a lot of dollars <laughs> to get <laughs> back and the content. So I totally get the pain point here. So, 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 can, can you can you give us because you mentioned that you provide a lot of support. So, can you give us a sense of the size of the business? Where are you in terms of revenue, number of customers, size of the team, etc.? Your thing. So, uh, you know, I'm actually uh, I've been doing this bootstrapping in addition to a full time job for a bit. Uh, I actually recently went full time on Centauri, which I'm really excited about. But we're still a small team. I do all the customer interfacing. Uh, I'm someone who's on my team helping me with the marketing side creating content, writing emails, all that good stuff. Uh, so we're a two-person a two team, one person full-time, one person part-time. In terms of customer count, we're approaching a couple dozen. There's a mix of folks who are just paying for the software uh, and folks who are paying for additional services and coaching and support. 
which you know has really helped us accelerate revenue and get to a point where I can do it full time. So I, I realize I'm very fortunate and and get really you know, honestly lucky to get to that position. And uh, but there's a much much further to grow and a, a much bigger impact I think we can make in this space. So that's what we're looking for through the rest of the year. Definitely, definitely. I I think there is a word in our our SaaS space something called ramen. Um, ramen profitable. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So you got to yeah. Fortunately, we're we're past Robin profitability. I, I'd say we're at a uh, you know we're not quite you know play mignon profitability. Uh, we're somewhere in the middle there. <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect. Okay, great stuff. Um, so let's take a step back. Let's t- let's go into your background before you started Suntory. Uh, tell us more about you. How where did you grow up? Where did you study? And you know. Obviously, you mentioned about your experience with HubSpot and all the product-related, uh, you know, uh, challenges you faced. But what was the what was the triggering point, or what was the inspiration since from your uh, childhood till this point when you thought, okay, this is the thing which I have to do because you know, for a founder's life, startup, and and if you're going full time in it, it's something has to be something you are passionate about. Plus, you you know, you should keep going because what. At, at some point, if you don't have money or don't have m- much traction or customers, you'll think like, mm, am I doing the right thing? I mean, I'm not saying that's the correct way to go it or not, but I'm just saying that you need that passion, right? So you need, you need that passion from somewhere, from your background, from your from your um, uh, journey. Yeah, totally. So I, uh, I grew up outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I live in Massachusetts now, like the college in Massachusetts, so I never went far despite many opportunities to leave. Um, yeah, I, I went to, it's, it's funny cause I, I studied English and economics in college. I went to Holy Cross and, um, in Worcester and, uh, and through that, I developed a love for storytelling, uh, for analyzing data points, understanding why the world works the way that it does. And, uh, ever since I was in high school, like I mentioned, I was always interested in building websites. I was interested in blogging before it was cool. Um, uh, and, and just the internet, how it worked and, um, you know, I just developed, honestly, a love of writing and storytelling, uh, and that kind of continued to grow and develop in college and continued to develop after. Uh, I actually wanted to be a sports writer for a while. I'm a huge Red Sox fan. Uh, if you have any folks, if you have any folks in the East Coast in your audience, uh, there you go. Shout out to the Red Sox. They're having a rough season. Uh, I ran a, um, a sports blog on the Red Sox, and I actually got it to uh, thousands of visitors per month, uh, got to social media marketing and building an audience and learned a lot about just kind of grassroots, uh, starting from scratch marketing. And this was in the um, the early 2010s. Uh, I did this when I was in college and after college. Uh, and so that got me exposure to not just storytelling, but storytelling to a large audience and building a following, which honestly always motivated me. I just loved delighting people. I loved when people would read the content, when they would share it, when they would respond to it. Uh, I learned the hard way there are, going to be, there are going to be people who don't like what you're producing and they're going to leave critical comments. And I had to navigate that as well. Uh, but these were things I learned early on about putting myself out there and not being afraid to. And I just loved creating. I think it's kind of going back to storytelling and writing. It's the act of creation, which I think everybody kind of has an innate desire to do. We want to be creative people. Even folks who say they're not creative want to create something, uh, whether it's, you know, piece of art or just a simple written thing that you wrote. Uh, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. That all led me to, uh, I began my career in financial services. So I worked at a fintech company and hated it because uh, I realized that wasn't giving me that outlet. But then I went to HubSpot. And that's, again, where I mentioned I really fell in love with marketing software and just seeing that software is a different type of product you can create. And there's a whole other process behind it, but it's really kind of the underlying thing, putting something out there, whether you're creating something uh, whether you're actually creating a software product, whether you're creating an experience for a customer that you're interacting with, uh, learn a lot about customer success and support and what it takes to make someone feel valued as a customer. Uh, as a product manager, learned a lot about what it takes to build and ship a product and understand how people use it. Uh, and this was really, I'd say, a good crash course in what led me to building Centauri. I think at the end of the day, why... Uh, Honestly, it is bad. You know, being being full time on this, uh, it is much easier having a job. Uh, it's much easier getting a paycheck and you know having health insurance and not having to worry about self employment taxes, uh, and and just not worrying about your paycheck going up or down. Uh, but man, I 
wouldn't trade it because it is just exciting being able to spend time creating something and having that be your sole pursuit. I think that was the thing I've always wanted. I've always admired. My dad ran his own business and continues to run it. He is a financial advisor. And I always saw that there's a lot of kind of passion on the line there. You know, you don't have a job necessarily. You don't have like a nine to five. It's like, this is your thing that you're building and you are held to that standard. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a billion or billion dollar business. As long as this is as successful as you want it to be, you can be proud of that. And that's okay. Uh, That's the thing that I learned as well from him. It's easy to get caught up and look at these unicorns and think, well, I need to build a billion dollar company. Well, hey, if you build a half a million dollar company, you're doing better than so many folks. And you are honestly one of the luckiest and richest people in the world. Um, We're all fortunate to be in a position we are in, uh, even if you're pursuing something part-time. So I'd say that's kind of the underlying motivation is creation, is um, the excitement of growing something and kind of the thrill of having that be your standard. Uh, as opposed to going through, and you know, I've done it for years, but going through the performance reviews and trying to angle for a promotion and maybe get like a one percent raise, you know, out of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, that that is much easier to do, and it's certainly much more stable. But uh, it, it's uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't something I realized I wanted to do for the rest of my life, and I may come back to that. But you know, you never know. You know, not perfect, right? And I want to tap into that when you mentioned that, you know, you used to develop um, uh, these WordPress websites for your customers when you were young. Um, what what interested you into getting into software development or essentially into coding? The, the reason I'm asking you this is because a lot of people I interview, they don't really know how to develop the product because... Um, you know, uh, I, I was just reading an article the other day and I found out that out of 8 billion people on the earth, only 1% are software developers. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very, you know, uh, good place to be. But then, you know, not necessarily you have to do uh, a tech degree in order to code or do softwares. So how does, how does it came to you? Yeah, great question. Um, so I think I make my WordPress development sound much more ambitious than it was. I wasn't doing anything for customers. I was just doing it for myself. And it, it's actually started out because you you know WordPress, one of the beauties of it is it, it's, it's open source. It's very easy to personalize and change things. And realizing, oh, wow, I can actually, I can make a change to this. Uh, and that I always felt was really cool. You know, I've always been into... Uh, cooking and baking and you know it's 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 very kind of i feel it's very similar there's established things and tools and and ways and processes that you can use to create something and it's it's really similar with the web uh and so i would kind of customize the themes you know add custom sections build a custom website and feel like this looks exactly like how i want it Uh, i got into web hosting and understanding how that worked and i always found that really kind of fun and interesting uh building a software product though that's a whole other ball game. Uh, I was fortunate at HubSpot. We got a, an education site then, so I was able to, you know, go, go through a team treehouse. I found really helpful in learning to code, kind of getting access to all these other materials and just kind of went through and understanding right, how do I build these, how do APIs work? Uh, how does JavaScript work? How does Python work? How does Django work? How do, how do databases work? And so all these kind of things have just accrued knowledge over the years and getting to a point where I can start building really simple tools. I built a self-help tool for, um, for the HubSpot Academy team and, and people, you know, you can get a HubSpot, uh, HubSpot certified and people want to get a sense of, Hey, you know, what's the status of my certification. And so I built a tool with them that hooked into, um, one of the APIs for where they kind of use their project management system, to tell you what, where you were in line. And that was really fun. Uh, and then realizing, okay, well, there's a bunch of APIs that I can use for SEO purposes. Um, I know how to build a simple interface. Some, you know, I learned Django in terms of connecting our front end to a back end and a database. Uh, let's build a product here. And it's something I use just for myself and then started opening up to other users. And now it's going to be successful. Um, you know, I didn't go to school for computer science and I wouldn't consider myself. I wouldn't apply to a developer job, even though I know my way around code. Um, and, and, a, and a piece of documentation, I'd say as soon as I can, I'd like to not be coding. I think it's just best for me. I think it's best for Centauri. I think I'll always be coding something. Uh, I, I personally really enjoy it. While it can be tricky, at the end of the day, it's like solving puzzles and, uh, and, and putting things together. And 
thinking about things as logic. At least you can in terms of how to build something. I find that very enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then the moment you realize that the the, the thing you 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 built with these fingers are used by hundreds of thousands of people. Oh my god, the satisfaction! Totally, totally. Or even you know, I was onboarding a customer uh, the other day, and just you know him sharing his screen and me watching him click and do the thing, use the tool the way I intended. I thought, wow, yeah. he figured it out. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, that's uh, that's honestly one of the more rewarding things because there's so many times people figure out fun ways to use tools that you never anticipated. Usually those end up being bugs. Indeed. Indeed. Perfect. Perfect. So how long, how long did it take to build the first version of Sentry? Uh, yeah, I'd say... Um, Man, I built like version zero uh, years ago, and I'd say it was a lot of mucking around understanding how these different systems worked in databases and migrations. And that probably took, um, I'd say about a year. I ended up rebuilding a lot of the platform from scratch and migrating the database over. And that took around like four months. I did that a couple of years ago, and that's the version everyone's on. So I've progressively gotten much, much better. And uh, honestly, one of the biggest things is just really focusing on what this platform do. How can we be as simple as possible in that um, and build just the best tool set we can for the things that we do. The first version, uh, I, I, you know, I was new as a product manager, very new as a developer, and just thinking, oh, it's easy to do feature factory thing. Oh, we need this tool. We need this tool. We need this tool. No, we got to think, what is the core problem we're trying to solve? Let's build really simply. Uh, it's sustainably cool to do that. So that took took much faster to end up building. Perfect. Okay, great stuff. So what, what I would like to know more about Sentry is uh, a lot of our listeners are um, from my community, from, from uh, Y Combinator, YC. Uh, we have lots of VCs here in Europe. Um, whenever I speak with them, they're starting either a SaaS product or a product or a mobile app or things like that. They want to get ranked on uh, on the first page, which is essentially everyone's goal right now as a, being a founder. Founders. So let's say, for example, you have a startup, it's a SaaS startup. They come to you to land uh, land on your um, agency website or Sentry tool website, and then they say, "Okay, I want to use this." So how step? Can you explain me step by step? Uh, considering, I mean, I know there's lots of elements and factors, but consider that they have a basic website, five-page website, uh, and and the tool there uh, after login. So, what what is the step-by-step process they can leverage the tool so that it benefits them? Gotcha. Great question. So, really, it all really starts in the strategy. SEO is pretty routine. It's content creation and making. It's really creating content, making sure that Google can see that content and has indexed that content. And that you're learning from where it sits and the keywords it ranks for, how you can continue to improve that content. But that is more or less routine. Um, you can kind of boil it down to you know a few hours a week if you're publishing one piece of content and keeping tabs on it. Really, where where people need to be successful, or if they want to be successful, they need a strategy. The strategy, most folks will say in SEO strategies, okay, build a keyword list, uh, write a blog post for each one beg people for backlinks and kind of rinse and repeat, but that's really a to-do list. Um, and it's a to-do list that in 2005 worked, but in 2023, not so much because everyone is following the same advice from, you know, Neil Patel and Brian Dean. They're reading the same articles. They're doing the exact same thing. Uh, if you want to be successful at SEO, uh, I take everyone through a strategic program where we build a strategy with them, doing the keyword research, the market research, building out the content plan, but really can be boiled down to, first off, who is just your ideal user? Who are you trying to reach? Uh, the problem with a lot of keyword research tools, and we even built one, but the problem with a keyword research tool is you plug in a seed keyword and it'll spit out like 2,000 suggestions. But that is not going to tell you the whole story. What you need to understand is I'm trying to reach this type of person who has these challenges. They're trying to do their job and they're having these impediments to it. Uh, and they're, you know, they're, they're trying to go about it this way. And uh, it, what we want to do is we want to tap into that and then say, okay, are they going to Google or what are they going to Google with as they're trying to navigate that journey, as they're trying to overcome those challenges? And how do those questions change as they move through the buyer's journey? The only way your typical SaaS website, there's really like two types of queries or three types of queries that a SaaS company needs to consider. There's, um, I'm looking for a soft piece of software that can do X, Y, and Z. Those are your feature-based bottom-of-the-funnel queries. 
your features landing pages or what goes there. If you have a product and let's say it can do 10 things, you really should have a page for each feature because chances are someone's looking for a SaaS product that can do one of those things. Uh, I see a lot of SaaS companies just have one page. It's just product and it's just like one landing page with a little snippet. That's just not enough because you got to drill down into those data areas. Another case is um, use cases. I'm looking for a product for a type of use case or person uh, that can come into play. Kind of depends on your business if that if that varies by persona for you. Uh, and then there's, I'm looking to do my job better. And I think the one mistake a lot of companies make is they think, oh, let me just cram all that stuff into the blog and just have a bunch of blog posts. But the real problem is no one's going to go to page six of your blog to find that content. So what you want to do is think, what are the core tasks that my customer is trying to accomplish? And how can I bring some of that content to the front, you know, to the kind of front view and the front when they land on the homepage and make it easily navigable? So that's doing things like pillar pages or a resource library or like a quick, you know, quick start guides, those types of things where you take existing blog content that you have, but bundling in a way that it's easily, it's easy to get to uh, when someone lands on your homepage. So I'm kind of going, yeah, I'm kind of going on a lot here, but I guess to break some tactical examples of this, um, you know, two, yeah, two come to mind. One is a client I'm working with now. They do um, truck repair. Uh, and so they sent me something that uh, an SDO agency gave that, which is like keywords, like truck repair and truck repair near me. Said, okay, great. That's really genius stuff. That's helpful. Uh, what we realized is that their target customer are truck drivers, um, their truck repair shops located all over the West Coast, the United States. And um, look, I have a car and I don't know, I don't, I don't really bow from the start, <laughs> you know, when it comes to cars. Uh, and, and those aren't even car charts, so it shows you how much I know. And, and my wife will also tell you the same. Anytime a light goes on, we hear a rumbling, we hear a noise. We're always wondering what happened. Uh, and I'm going to Google. Like, I literally Google, how do I, like, raise the hood for a Honda Civic, <laughs> you know? Um, truck drivers are experiencing the same thing. So rather than just like, okay, let's just focus on truck repair, truck repair shops, and those are important, yes. But what about, you know, truck vibrates when I break? Or truck is banking to the left, uh, or you know transmission is making a you know, a, a grinding noise, or um, this spring is loose. You know those types of things. So essentially, thinking about the website as a resource that truck drivers can use, and what we're building out with them, it's almost like a digital truck manual. Something that's easy to navigate, it's searchable. We're not going to create a million blog posts about five things that truck drivers need to bring, or you know those types of things. Well, that's like useful content. Hey, if you're in a jam and your truck is, you know, on the side of the road and you're Googling, what is this problem and where do I get help? We're there. We're, we're going to rank for that. Another example is, um, is, is a SaaS company. It is a, um, it's a, it's actually, we just kind of wrapped up building a strategy for that. It is an app. It's a communication app for ALS patients. Uh, their audience is caregivers, uh, professional home care agencies. And so obviously there's a lot of things that their product does as we built out features pages for each of those things, but then thinking, well, what are the core problems caregivers have? Well, there's one is caring for an ALS patient, but that's going to be really crowded. Huge opportunity with burnout, but caregivers really struggle with burnout. They struggle getting overwhelmed, burnout, even resentment of their patients. It's really sad, but it happens. So we're building a product for caregivers. So how do they become an authority, not just on what their product does? But an authority on, hey, you're a caregiver, you're facing these challenges, we're going to give you a burnout guide, a burnout quiz, a burnout assessment. Uh, the core kind of underlying theme here is we're focusing on websites that are hyper-usable uh, and also focus on solving problems, almost like your product would. So I think those are the two things, really, that can set you up for success. Beyond an SEO tool, um, it, or really in using an SEO tool, I should say, is Having a strategic plan that puts your customer at the center and is focused on content that is usable and useful and solves problems for them, uh, it is front and center on the website. And then you can go into using an SEO tool, looking at the analytics for how that content performs, uh, looking and tracking keyword ranking, looking at conversions and how organic is actually driving conversions for your business. Uh, and that allows you to then say, okay, this part of the website is bringing in results. Let's double down there. Um, I'm rambling, but if I could just go one, one step further, uh, just as another example, um, I'm really interested, and I'm sure a lot of SaaS founders are, is uh, when people visit the pricing page. What I really want to know is what content do people land on from Google that leads them to the pricing page? 
because that tells me, okay, that's content that is more likely to drive conversions because more people navigating through to the pricing page are probably more people going to sign up and book a demo or subscribe uh, to a plan. And so what we do is we track that. We can actually see from Google through our integration with Google Analytics and our custom events we set up the Google Tag Manager. Our, you know, we've got a few blog posts and guides on keyword research that immediately next click is going to the pricing page. Well, if we want to drive conversions, and this is the big thing we're leaning into in the second half of the year, let's just create a lot more content in that area because that's much more likely to lead to um, new plans and you know, new subscribers and sales. So really thinking intelligently about your content, not just viewing it. Well, I got to log once a week, but thinking where do we want to go? What challenges is our customer facing? How does content solve those problems for them? How do we use content intelligently to drive business for us? And uh, that's kind of like my... I guess ten minute now rambling spiel on how do you how you really set yourself up for success when it comes to SEO. Yeah, definitely. And 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 what I got so so the stage stoppers here. What what I have um, understood is a your ICP, your ideal customer profile. You need to dig that down. You need to understand who they are. And B is their intent. What they want to do to get the solutions, the pain point, and then if you if you ace these two things, you ace Google ranking. Pretty much. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, you know, there are things that come into play like domain authority, uh, which is a made-up metric, to be honest, but just how authoritative is your website. And if you have an established website with a lot of backlinks, it's easier to rank than a website just starting out. Um, but those aren't those aren't the starting points. Uh, the starting point is rock solid understanding of your customer, thinking about your website really intentionally, making sure it's usable, you're giving good information, it's optimized to convert. And then you start ramping things up by like, okay, we're getting this much traffic. And you know, the gap between us and the top of page one is like you know, 20 backlinks. Uh, that's where you start exploring strategies to get those. Um, I'm not a big fan of just spamming people for backlinks because it doesn't work and people see right through it. Uh, I like to build links by building relationships, creating content people actually want to link to. So like a link magnet is what typically is called. As a specific example, something we also just wrapped up with a client is uh, they have a speed reading app. So it actually, like an e-reader that speed reads for you. It's really cool. And um, they've been in business for a while. They have a ton of data on how often, how often people use the app, how fast people read. And it's worth thinking, hey, you're the only one who can provide a like a data-backed study on the average reading speed of the average person and kind of breaking down different levels of reading speeds and how those change. And like people are probably going to be Googling, hey, what's the average speed someone reads? And if you have a data-backed study, chances are you're going to rank number one and they're going to link to that. And that's one of the most effective ways is thinking about what are some of these really unique, interesting content pieces that someone naturally wants to link to because they're always going to want to link to your blog post on what is speed reading, you know, but they will want to link to a data back study with lots of cool visualizations. So that's what we worked on with them and um, hopefully it will be very successful. Perfect. Awesome. Great. And by the way, you mentioned about Brian Dean. I think he, he gave up with his YouTube channel, I guess. Well, he sold it actually. SEMrush realized, so wow, we need to think about education and we don't have anyone that can provide it. So let's buy someone else, uh, wow. which is just... Kind of tells you where the market is going. You know, it shows where they realize their gap is because they got a lot of people who are churning because I can't tell you how many folks tell me a lot of our, you know, a lot of our customers say, well, I use SEMrush. I didn't know how to use it. So this is great. Uh, and I think SEMrush is getting a little afraid of uh, losing ground when it comes to the SEO space. Great stuff. Great stuff. Okay. So Tyler, tell me more about, um, when you started uh, with this uh, platform, what was the pricing model that time? And, uh, you know, going through all these, uh, you know, time frame, what is the current pricing model and why the difference, if there is a difference? Yeah, really good question because it has changed a lot. And I think that's a bit of advice I give to early page founders is be very loose with your pricing and change it because you're going to learn a lot by what, not just what will people pay for, I think that's the first hurdle, but what will they continue to pay for and what also generates a good return for you um, and what, you know, the level of service you're providing. So we started off with um, a really, you know, a really standard pricing model. We started off with free 
and like some sort of starter prone enterprise here and I gained it by features. That was when we were just super product centric. We didn't do any sort of coaching or extra support. And to be honest, I found that to be really not very valuable for, for the customer, but also not really valuable for me as a business owner. Uh, a lot of people would sign up for free. The challenge is SEO is a long game, and so they would convert. Uh, and so we kind of did away with that as an idea. And also gating features is just a lot to manage. And it's just a lot to think through that I think honestly, most, especially if it's a first time SaaS founder, it doesn't make sense to think, well, this feature is really good for this tier. It's, it just gets really difficult and complex. You could add that complexity in, but I wouldn't start there. Uh, what I wish I did was just starting with, hey, this is one pricing option software. Uh, it's flat rate and, uh, you know, you get what you get and uh, we can always add and gate features as time goes on after we get paying customers. That's the real challenge. Um, it's interesting because, you know, around 2020, launched the software, had a lot of free users. No one paid, no one got value out of it. I actually shut down the ability just to pay for the software. We continued to offer the software, but we offered with coaching tiers. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to do a similar thing. We're going to offer coaching, but you get an hour, you get two hours, you get three hours, you can pay. I think it was like 350, 500, 750, you know, basically 250 an hour is what it came down to. And, um, or around that, you know, there's some kind of difference there in the price. But the thing I found is that people would pay for three hours and say, oh, I used two, or I used two and a half, or I used three, but I don't really need this anymore. Um, I don't really want to pay for this anymore. And I found that wasn't sticky enough. Uh, where we're at now is um, we found a lot of people were interested in the software. We offer $39 a month. It's unlimited use. Track as many keywords as you want. Uh, we've got a bunch of different keyword research tools. Um, we crawl your website, all that good stuff. Integrates with Google Search Console, Google Analytics. Uh, $39 a month. I don't want to get too fancy with it in terms of, okay, we'll have like the pro tier and the enterprise tier. We may get there as the business grows, but right now, try to keep it as simple as possible. Uh, the coaching, we've just kind of condensed down to essentially, you get uh, up to 90 minutes with an SEO expert every month, $3.99 a, a month. So there's a big price jump there because you're getting really one-on-one -on -one live dedicated support. I'm getting on calls, doing strategy calls with folks, doing keyword research, building PPC campaigns, pretty much SEO and SEM related, uh, and doing just a, you know, a quick monthly report saying, hey, here's your analytics. Here's what you've done. Here's the impact it made. Here's what you should prioritize. And we try to keep it as simple and direct and actionable as possible. Uh, recently, we launched um, an SEO services kind of component. So providing services on top of the software, uh, namely in the form of content and uh, PPC campaigns. And uh, that starts at $2,500 a month. And we're pretty much running your entire content and SEO operations. And again, this is kind of a... a, a page I took out of HubSpot's book, and I think what made HubSpot su su you know, successful. A lot of people would look at that and say, well, really, you're a coaching and services company. Most of the money comes from coaching and services, to be honest. Uh, HubSpot, no one would accuse of not being a scalable company. They are a software company, billion-dollar company, but HubSpot offers really the difference between Starter, which is $50 a month, and Pro, which I think is like $800 a month, is you get a CSM. You get a couple features that you don't get in Starter, but you get a CSM. Um, you're getting someone who's there to answer emails, hop on the phone, do strategy with you, build you a custom dashboard report. I do a similar comparison when it comes to the coaching. HubSpot also offers pro services. They offer website design services. They offer marketing consultative services, all this type of services. And that's where HubSpot makes a ton of money as well. I do our SEO services as comparable to that. So rather than it being a services company, I view us as a software platform enabled and empowering our customers with additional expertise and uh, services as well for folks who really want to offload that and they have the budget for it. Mm, good stuff. I mean, to be honest, I never used CRMs before in my life too. Um, when I decided to go with the podcast uh, approach, first I studied for like a few months and understood what should be the approach. And then suddenly I realized, oh, well, if I can do the lead uh, follow-ups um, via CRM, why not? I can't do the same for my podcast leads. And that's why you might have recognized that I use the HubSpot CRM. Um, like loving it because this is the first time I've been introduced with something like this, where everything is in one place and I don't have to go outside to look for it. The only interaction I have with my uh, you know, interviewees is outside HubSpot when I am asking them to be on it. 
that's it as did you know and then everything is 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 on upspot so it's it's really good in terms of improving your productivity and really good to to keep the, all the data in one place so i i can totally relate to it totally awesome yeah it's 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 kind of like what we're trying i'm trying to do but niching down into seo and that's kind of one of my i'm, I'm a hubspot customer but a big gripe is hubspot doesn't have really much at all in the way of seo touring and we can kind of deliver a really good tool set and also really great support uh and help people be successful because i think that's the one of the top gripes a lot of people have with SEO is a lot of SEO folks I find are focused on deliverables and not much the result. Well, we're selling you this content. We created the content or we created the PPC campaign and it drove ads to your, or drove traffic to your website. We're wiping our hands after that. No one really cares about that. I get it. I'm an SEO guy and I understand no one really cares about SEO. What they care about is, is my business growing? Uh, and that's, I think, what's helped Centauri be successful to brand and and really what I'm trying to do with each one of our customers is communicate to them, make it really super clear. Like I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied just with the deliverable in terms of, hey, publish the content, we're done. It's got to drive traffic. That traffic has to convert. If you're not getting leads, if your business isn't growing, I'm not happy. Uh, and, and that's kind of the attitude that we try to take, whether it is the software, the coaching, the services, it's making that abundantly clear to folks and helping people think in that way I think it's easy for a lot of folks to think about SEO for themselves, for their own businesses, is we just have to publish content. No, your goal is to grow the business. Publishing content is a way you get there. What content you publish and how you position on the website is a strategic decision. Uh, and that's something that we try to help people make, whether through the tool or uh, through the coaching and services that we offer. Perfect. Awesome. Okay, so as we're reaching to the end, I would like to touch... Um, uh, very lightly on the topic, Chat GPT. You know, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, a lot of people actually um, done that to me when we when we host our live events, and we, they they ask me about like because I write a lot, I I do a lot of uh, medium, so um, I write around not much, eight hundred to thousand words in a week, which is too much for me to be honest. Sitting on a computer thinking with the idea, and you know, I list down all the ideas in media itself and do that. that. But a lot of people tell me that they are using ChatGPT. I'm personally very scared using it because I think, oh, if I put something from ChatGPT on my articles, A, it will sound too professional in terms of language, and, and English is not my first language, so I do make mistakes. Um, and B, uh, Google already mentioned it a couple of times, although they uh, rephrased it later that, you know, if you use ChatGPT in a proper way, we don't penalize you, but they might penalize me. That I don't want to happen. So what what's your suggestion to our listeners about using or not using ChatGPT for content? Yeah, good question. I feel like AI, this especially this year, has just been such a polarizing topic, and I, I think there's a lot of polarization uh, across the globe nowadays, too. Um, I, at the risk of sounding kind of wishy-washy, I, I take a middle ground up. You know, I think ChatGPT is a great tool. Um, I've experimented it a bit myself in terms of content creation. Google, for a while, has said AI-generated content is going to get you, you know, it's going to have some penalization on your site. We're going to derank it. Uh, at the start of the year, Google said, hey, we don't care how the content was created as long as it's useful. And that is the key. ChatGPT isn't replacing content creation as much as it's replacing the outsourcing to someone on Fiverr who's going to create really low effort content. Well, if you create really low effort content with ChatGPT, guess what? No one's going to want to read it. Um, it's not going to convert. You can publish. And I've done. I've seen folks publish like 100 or 1,000 blog posts to say, hey, why isn't my... Why isn't my SEO working? It's like, well, your blog posts are extremely boring. Uh, there's no call to action. They're not considering the user. They're super two-dimensional. Um, no one's going to want to read it. That's the whole point of content. It's not about getting traffic. It's about getting someone to do something. No one wants to subscribe to your newsletter. No one wants your tips in, your in, in their inbox. What they want are things that can solve their problems. They want you know, maybe they want white papers, ebooks, tools that they can download or book a demo, but you got to put the user at the center. And obviously, ChatGPT can't do that because it's just kind of regurgitating what, what it thinks you want it to. What it thinks you want based on the input you gave it. 
So I think ChatGPT is remarkable in its ability to generate coherent content. It does need a lot of editing because often it's wrong. Uh, just based on the experience of using it, I'd say about half the time, there's some factual inaccuracies there. But I don't say that we should completely dock it. I think it could be really useful in speeding up the content process. I find that personally it can be very helpful for me in if there's like a couple of paragraphs or a section of a blog post I really need to, um, you know, it's like really just a basic type of background context stuff. Like what's a buyer persona? And I'm trying to like write a paragraph on that. Uh, it's great to write that filler content and I get to focus more on content design and less on just writing the content. So it's helped me speed up my content creation process, which I find helpful, but we still need like a brain behind it. You still need to think about the user and the situation they're reading it in and the call to action and all that stuff. It doesn't replace that. Um, the thing I appreciate about that though is, you know, what used to take maybe six months can take, you know, six weeks. Uh, it reduces the amount of time that goes into content creation, which allows you to learn quicker about your website and what Google responds to um, and what your users respond to and collect data. So that could be very useful. Uh, it's just making sure you're using it the right way. I think that's really the key with, with any tool and any kind of marketing tool. I think it's funny that almost every SaaS company has launched a you know, quote-unquote AI feature, uh, but really it's just a chat GPT. Uh, integration, which I kind of I kind of find funny. At Centauri, we purposefully haven't uh, because I don't think the world needs another content generation tool. But what I'm really interested in is an analytics analysis tool, and that's where we're focusing on is getting insights from your data. Uh, but that'll be that'll be coming a bit later in this year, probably. Perfect. Oh, that would be good to see. Thanks, Seth. Okay, so you know, okay, uh, so we should wrap up now. Um, well, we, we're going to go into the lighting round. I've got six quick fire questions for you. Uh, so just try to ask them quickly. Yes, you can. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's get started then. Okay. Number one, what's one of the best pieces of business advice you have received? Uh, oh man, I'd say, um, I mean, honestly, put the customer at the center. I'm spot always did a good job of that and solve for the customer and use good judgment. I think if you do those, you can't do wrong. Perfect. Uh, what book would you recommend to your audience and why? Uh, Building the Story Brand by Donald Miller. I think of all the marketing books I've read, that is without a doubt the best. It is super tactical and practical. I think the other one is um, The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes, probably one of the best sales books I've read. Perfect. Awesome. And what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Uh, I think being able to be adaptable, you know, I think the reason most startups fail is because I think personally people refuse to adapt. You know, if I didn't adapt our business model, frankly, at this point, like three or four times, I would have failed years ago. Uh, where I've been able to be successful is paying attention to the customer, focusing on the problem and adapting and testing and being willing to test and frankly, being willing to be proven wrong. Uh, I think that's one of the best things you can do. Cool, cool. And what's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Uh, I am big on journaling and making a to-do list. Sounds really simple, but I literally just make a to-do list of like the three or four things I need to do today. Uh, and I just kind of keep everything else below the fold and out of sight. Uh, I can get to that later. But if there's two or three things I do, you know, what's it got to be? And that's how they stay on task for the most part. Perfect. Not like Sheldon Cooper, is it? No. <laughs> no, I got it a... Not to, you know, sound tropey, but I got the bullet journaling, but mine is really just as simple as, okay, it's Monday, you know, it's, it's Wednesday, uh, June 28th. Here's four things I want to do. Here's a list yeah. of my meetings and, uh, and it's as simple as that. Awesome. Uh, what's a new or crazy business idea you would love to pursue if you had the time? Uh, one thing kind of on the noted to do list that I've toyed around with, and this is going to be one of the engineering kind of play, you know, playgrounds that I build out is um, I find to-do lists are very helpful. I find like online to-do lists, the trouble is it's easy to add things. So a to-do list that A, forces me to only add a certain amount of things, but B, I can set a timer on it and I can actually just, because I'm a big on, I'm going to just focus on this for the next 30 minutes or an hour. So a to-do list with a timer where you can say, okay, this task, I want to spend an hour on it, start the clock and, uh, and it just puts you into focus mode. So that's probably... Something I'll play around with, and maybe I'll be launching that eventually. We'll see. Awesome. Yeah. And last, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? 
what's one of your most important passion outside of your work? Um, you know, I think there's, that's a good one. I think my most important passion, it, I don't know if it's something people don't know. It's something that they only know when they get to know me. Um, I mean, I just, I'm a big person. Like I, like I mentioned, I'm big on paying it forward. Um, I, you know, faith is important to me. I'm not the most showy or like showboating type of person about it. Uh, but it's something that honestly kind of guides a lot of what I do is my personal beliefs and how I try to be with people. Um, I don't show, I don't talk a lot about it uh, publicly. So I'd say most people don't know it, but it's something that when they do really get to know me, they kind of see, oh, that's why it's that way or he is that way. Um, I'd, I'd say probably that. Okay, great. Perfect. So Tyler, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story, unpacking the last years of building this uh, business and some of the ups and downs along the way. Uh, if people want to check out Centauri, um, what, what's the website for it? It's Yeah, it's www.centauri.io. Uh, so hop on there. Our Twitter is uh, at Centauri SEO. So you can find us there as well. Um, we got a LinkedIn, but I, I try to be more active on social media, as you can probably guess. I'm an SEO guy. I focus a lot on SEO the channel. Uh, so you yeah. can find us on Google as well for some uh, SEO questions that you have. Yeah, yeah. And if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do to uh, for that? Uh, probably if you want to hit me up on Twitter or LinkedIn, it's at Tyler Cianti. It's S-C-I-O-N-T-I. Um, so just shoot me, a, shoot me a tweet uh, or find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way. Perfect, perfect. Well, um, you know, um, this has been an amazing in, uh, interview with you. I have learned so much. You know, I'm, I'm myself a founder, so I will be implementing a few interesting tips you have provided in this in this interview. So thank you very much uh, for giving me your time, Tyler. And I hope once you become a billionaire, I'll get some more time with you to have the same. Well, thank you so much, Ash. Uh, really glad to be here. Really big fan of the podcast that you're running. So uh, it's been a thrill and uh, wishing you the best of success with the future guests. Perfect. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of our SaaS Stories podcast. I hope you found our conversation with Tyler insightful and inspiring. If you're a founder or industry expert interested in sharing your story on our SaaS podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out. Simply email me at ash at artcircles.com and let's connect for a potential interview opportunity. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and stay updated on future interviews with proven founders and industry experts. We have a lineup of incredible guests and valuable insights coming your way. Stay inspired, stay motivated, and keep building.